What up, Oasis people? All right, let's go, let's go. Let me start by asking you a question. Has anyone in here ever been disappointed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. what about frustrated? Yeah, we, we feel that. You've ever felt left, let down? Yeah. You're like, oof, this is starting tough. Well, that's because that's true. We have felt those things, right? It's part of the human experience. We have been let down. I can say with confidence, every single one of us in the room at some point has felt frustrated. You felt disappointed. And I want to start by telling you a time that I was disappointed. And so it happened in the not too distant past. And it, when, when I saw the movie Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick, I watched this movie and some of you are, you're disappointed in me for being disappointed, right? Like, some of you, you are like, oh my gosh, you're about to throw hands just because I didn't like this movie. And let me not even say I didn't like it. I was disappointed. It's got Tom Cruise, who is 60. He's 60 and he looks 35. It's got Miles Teller, who in 2015 I met in Mexico. So like, he's like one of my best friends and I still didn't love the movie. And then it's got like Glenn Powell and another amazing cast. This movie made, let me, let me fact check so I don't even get it wrong. It made over $1.5 billion in the box office. And yes, you heard that right. Billion with a B. It was nominated for over 175 different awards and won over 55 of them. Top Gun, to many of you, is a 10 out of 10 movie. 10 out of 10. You're like, it's my favorite movie ever. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed. Right, I was disappointed with this movie. And that leads you maybe to ask the question, why? Why was I left disappointed? It's, it's obviously a decent movie. Like, many, many people liked it. Right? Why was I left disappointed by my experience when it comes to Top Gun Maverick? And it's because the movie didn't li live up to my expectations. I talked to too many of you, and you told me 10 out of 10. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. You're like, it's my favorite movie ever. I talked to people who were seeing it two, three, four, five times. It's like, how much money do you have to spend on Tom Cruise? Like, I had my expectations set through the roof. This movie was going to blow my mind, right? I was going to cry, and then I was going to laugh, and then I was going to cry, and then I was going to turn around, I was going to buy another ticket, and I was going to watch it twice, right? That's how I walked in. And the movie didn't meet my expectations. Was it an okay movie? Yeah, yeah, it was great. 36 years in the making, but, but yeah, it was, it was great. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not a tough movie critic. Like, you might be thinking, like, oh, come on, Brennan, cut it a little slack. Like, anybody ever seen this movie? Will you throw that one up for me, Nate? Anybody ever seen that movie? The Emoji Movie? I like that movie! On Rotten Tomatoes, 6%. It's the lowest I've ever seen scored. But the thing here is I had no expectations. I was like, the Emoji Movie is trash. I'll watch it. And I was like, yeah, that was nice. You know, all I wanted to do was be entertained, and I was good. But when it came to Top Gun, my expectations... They ruined that experience for me. And that's what I want to start with us tonight. Is disappointment happens when our experience doesn't meet our expectations. Disappointment happens when our experience doesn't meet our expectations. When's that happened to you? When I asked in the first couple of seconds of this message, have you ever been disappointed? I want you to recall that moment right now. Something in the not too distant past where you felt disappointed where you were frustrated, where you felt let down. Do you have it in your head? You picturing it, are you thinking about it? Think about a time you were disappointed. Now ask yourself a second question. What expectations did you have there 
that didn't get met. Maybe for you it was a test that you're like, oh, this is the one. It's finally going to pick up my GPA. I'm going to get the A. It's going to be amazing. And then you walk down and you're like, oof. <laughs> and you, were, you didn't do what you thought you were going to do. And you had these expectations and they weren't met and you're disappointed. Maybe at your job you thought you would get that promotion. You thought you'd get that opportunity. And it went to someone else and you were disappointed. Maybe you have a person in your life who you thought they were going to do something or they thought they were going to come through or you thought they were going to be that person and they weren't and you were disappointed. When your expectations aren't met with the reality of your experience, there's disappointment. And that's where toxic theology ties in tonight. Tonight we're looking at a statement that's a little bit different. It's the statement Christianity is an easy life. I say it's a different statement because it's not one many of you have maybe said. It's not one that maybe you have ever heard. It's not as popular as some of the ones that we have talked about, right? We went through the first week and it was like, don't follow your heart. Then we talked about God won't give you more than you can handle. Then we talked about like, have fun in your 20s. Like all of these huge cliches that people say all the time. And this doesn't feel like it necessarily fits in with all of those. It's maybe because you haven't heard it. You haven't said it. But just because it isn't as commonly said doesn't mean this isn't a toxic truth people are believing. If it's not coming out of our mouths, doesn't mean that this lie is not residing in our hearts. Because some of us, we have set our expectations of what Christianity should be. And our experience has not matched that. And following Jesus for you feels more like disappointment than it does fulfillment. Church feels more like disappointment than it does fulfillment. Your walk with Jesus has more pain than joy there. There's more struggle than success there. And you're sitting back and, you, and, and deep down, someone maybe taught it to you, maybe you saw it modeled, I don't know what happened, but deep down you've been believing this lie that Christianity is meant to be easy. And your experience hasn't matched that. And disappointment has marked your life with Jesus. When we talk about this, I want us to very clearly define what we mean by easy. Easy can be a confusing word because it's one we talk about a lot and it has a bunch of different definitions. But tonight we're going to use easy in two different ways. First, easy can describe something that, is, that takes little effort. Right? Easy can describe something that takes little effort. Watch this. Ready? Did you? Okay, let's check it again. Wait, wait, wait. If you missed it, here it comes. you describe that experience? No, come on. How would you describe that? Do I need to do it again? It was easy. Why? Because it took little effort. Like I'm only sweating up here every week because the lights are bright. Like not because the mug is heavy, right? It was easy. It took little effort. Second definition for you is easy can describe an experience that is free from struggle. Easy can describe an experience that is free from struggle. To help you understand this one, I actually want to tell you about something that's not easy. That if you listen to the Oasis podcast, I've been on this journey in March where I wake up every morning at 6 a.m., which to some of you, like, come on, that's a struggle, right? But to some of you, you're like shugging it off. You're like, I get up at four, no problem. I, I don't want to talk to you, right? <laughs> if you get up before six and it's no problem for you, mute, mute yourself for a second. I want to talk to the same people in the room, right? <laughs> you know my struggle because it kind of goes like this, right? You lay down, and you're taking a, a nice nap, right? You're 8 to 10, 12, 14-hour nap, right? And you're sleeping, 
and your toes are tucked. It's nice, right? And that alarm goes off, and it always happens when you're in the deepest of sleeps, like you're right in that REM cycle, and and it starts to go off, and your eyes crack open just a little, right? You got the crust. It's like you got that good sleep, and the emotions are sadness and confusion and fear and anger, and you're like, what is this world? Because you have to get out of the warm, cozy, comfortable, safe bed. Out into the dark, scary, terrible world. Like, is anybody on this journey with me every morning, right? The alarm is not my friend this month. It's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. It has not been easy. It's been 30 days and every single morning it's been a struggle. So easy has two definitions. One, that it requires little effort. Or two, it is free from struggle. And in both instances... These definitions are untrue in describing the Christian life. The statement, Christianity is an easy life, is wrong. And I want to show you why from God's word. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 16. And as you flip there, I'm going to pray. Jesus, tonight, will you meet us in this place? Will you speak through your word, Spirit? Would you come and open our hearts? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, they must take up their cross, and they must follow me. Let me give it to you one more time. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I want us to break this down together. Here Jesus is laying out three requirements of what it means to be his disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and learns from him. That's that's simply what a disciple is. It's someone in this time period and it's someone today who follows Jesus and he learns from him. So a disciple is a Christian. It's a different term, but it's the same idea. And so Jesus here is laying out three requirements of what it means to be a Christian. He's telling this group of people, if you want to follow me, if you want to learn from me, me, here's what you must do. Here are the base requirements. Above and beyond, you can exceed beyond that, but here is what you must do if you want to follow me. And the first thing he says is his disciples must deny themselves. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. If we want to be true Christians, the first requirement we must meet is to deny ourselves. Right? Let me put it to you one other way. As Christians, we surrender everything to Jesus. As Christians, he's got our whole lives, our everything, our very selves. We have denied ourselves and given him full authority of our whole lives. Now, let me explain to you a little bit of context around this passage in Matthew 16. That we have actually just jumped in the text in a pretty tense, awkward moment, right? Because Peter and Jesus are in a conflict here. They're actually having this disagreement. And where we picked up the text is Peter has just rebuked Jesus. Like, Peter, you didn't hear that wrong. Peter rebuked Jesus. The, The follower, the disciple, the Christian rebuked the master, the Messiah, the Lord. Peter rebuked Jesus. And the reason he did that is Peter had unmet expectations. When he started following Jesus, he had this list, this idea of what it would mean to follow Jesus. And when those things weren't being met, you know what he experienced? 
disappointment, frustration. They're going to put a list up here for you. Uh, Here's what Peter expected when he was following Jesus. Peter expected Jesus to be an earthly king. Peter expected Jesus to take the throne by power and force. Peter expected Jesus to overthrow Rome. Peter actually expected Jesus to probably use violence to maybe bring about a war if it was necessary. Peter expected at his very core, at the end of Jesus' ministry, Israel would be liberated. And Peter expected Jesus to build an earthly kingdom. That's what Peter expected. That's where we're picking up the text tonight. But at the same time, Jesus has different different, uh, expectations. Put that other list for us. Jesus... You can read about it in Mark 10, 45. He says, the son of man, who's, who's himself, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus expected to be the sacrificial lamb. He 110% the whole time expected to fulfill the father's will. He expected to live the perfect life. He expected to die the sinner's death. He expected to become the resurrected Messiah. And he did all of it to build a heavenly kingdom. Now look at those two lists for a second. What Peter expected from Jesus and what Jesus expected from himself are radically different. And when Peter's list was not met, the only emotion we can fill in to describe why he would be rebuking Jesus is he's frustrated. He's disappointed. He's let down. And when that happens, Peter rebukes Jesus. He lashes out at Jesus. In the midst of this conflict and this disagreement, that is when Jesus is writing this or speaking this verse, and Jesus calls Peter to deny all of that. The reason he oh, oh sorry, you can if you want to put it back up, you can. The reason he has to get rid of all of this, he has to deny everything that he has ever wanted, he has to deny himself, is because this list, Jesus' list, is so much greater. Peter's list will exist for a period of time. It's finite. Jesus' list is eternal. Jesus is here to bring about something that will never, ever end. And so he calls Peter to deny himself. And some of us, we might connect with Peter. You might find yourself frustrated because what you have expected of Christianity has not been true. And because of that, you are disappointed. And Jesus would speak the same words to you that he speaks to Peter. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Not only that, maybe it's not just your expectations, but it might be your desires. Anybody ever had a desire that they felt that the God has not provided in? Some of you, you're like, <laughs> I'm going to call some people out. Some of you, you're like, oh, I thought I'd be in a long-term relationship right now. Like, it is almost spring and there is no ring, right? Like, some, and you're like, God, God, come on, I'm disappointed. Some of you thought that you would have graduated by now. Some of you thought you would have had a job by now. Some of you thought you would be in a new city, in a new place. Some of you thought you'd be happy by now. And when that hasn't happened, it has added to your disappointment. And Jesus tells you not because all of those things are wrong, but because he has something greater for you. He says, deny yourself. As Christians, we are called to surrender everything to God, including our expectations and desires. That's hard, right? Is that not hard? Anybody wrestling with Jesus, what Jesus is asking of us here? I have desires. I have opinions. I have things in my life that I want to see come to fruition. And when Jesus tells me to deny that, it's hard. But Jesus is not calling us to something less than he's calling us to something greater. 
which leads us into our second thing. Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. If we want to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross. Too easily, the depth of what Jesus is asking of his followers here is lost on us. To us, the cross is a symbol of hope. To the people he is talking to, the very first disciples, the cross is a symbol of torture and death. To us, it reminds us of Jesus' crucifixion, yes, but also his resurrection. To them, it only reminded them of the Roman oppression and torture. And the Romans, they were experts at torture. This is what they mastered. And that torture itself, it actually epitomized itself in the crucifixion. But we can't get it confused. What Jesus is talking about here is not just the crucifixion. He is inviting them onto a journey that is called the cross. And crucifixion was the moment that they hung on the tree. But the cross starts hours before then. You can actually read about Jesus' experience in Mark 15, Matthew 27, or John 19. But I'll just describe to you what happened for most people. That after a person was convicted or condemned for their crime, they would be sentenced to go be beaten by the Roman soldiers. I've got a couple more pictures up here for you. The first one here is a Roman whip. And you can see in this Roman whip that yes, there's the the leather straps like we maybe would think of as a whip, but there are also these small pieces of bone woven into the straps. These bones were often sharpened or or, or specifically picked because they were, um, had pointy edges so that when you were hit with the whip, it would cut your back leaving deep lacerations. Then there were also metal balls, usually made of lead on there, that they had woven in there. So again, when you were hit with the whip, it would not just cut you, it would not just whip you with the leather, it would actually deeply, deeply bruise you. And so they would whip the people before they were crucified. And then the next picture for me, Nate, is the Roman soldiers, they carried this staff. And the staff had a ball on top. If it comes up, it comes up. But the staff had a ball up on top. And they would hit people with this staff that had a ball. And when the ball would hit the people, it had extra weight to it so that it would drive deeper into the flesh. I told you Romans were torture experts. They knew how to whip a prisoner, how to beat a prisoner to write on the verge of death. They had it to a science. That they would do it to the point where this person was right on the verge of dying inches away from their final moments. Only then would they relinquish the beating. And that is only the start of the cross. After that, a person would be forced to carry their cross. Crosses ranged somewhere between seven to nine feet at this time. They weighed somewhere between 100 to 150 pounds. And they would put it on their back and they would drag it somewhere between a quarter to a half of a mile to the place that they would be crucified. Think about that for a second. You've already gone through a beating that has put you right on the verge of death only to put the very thing that will kill you on your back and drag it to your execution. Once they got there, that's not when the pain stopped. They would be paraded through the town on this hike. They got to the hill that they would have been crucified on only to have the metal drove through their hands and feet. No relief, just more suffering. The sound that would have pierced the air as nails driven through flesh-crushing bone. Finally, they would hang there. Crucified, beaten, naked, ashamed. Some for as long as four days before eventually suffocation overtook them and they drowned in their own blood. 
The cross is not a moment of suffering. The cross is a journey of suffering. That as Christians, Jesus is inviting us, his disciples, to join him on a journey of suffering, not just one instance. Not the possibility of suffering. He's inviting us to something hard. As Christians, we need to learn that suffering is part of following Jesus. It's not something some of us experience. It's not something one of us experience. It's something all of us will experience. Jesus is our example for life. He is who we follow. And he suffered. I just walked you through the cross, but we could actually start there and start to backtrack to see all the ways Jesus suffered. The Jews, they denied Jesus. Peter, he disowns Jesus. Judas, he betrayed Jesus. Pharisees oppose Jesus. Followers leave Jesus. Community ignores Jesus. Family rejects Jesus. People are confused by Jesus. Kings try to kill Jesus. And the whole time, the whole time, no one fully understood Jesus. The very people he came to save, no one gets it. Jesus is the son of suffering. His life is constantly marked by it. From being born in a stable to dying on the cross, Jesus suffered. And he's our example. Jesus' suffering doesn't just appear in his action, but also in his speech. John 15, 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved you as, it your, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, for I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus said to those who follow him that they would also suffer. He modeled it and he spoke it. Not only that, but the people who followed him experienced it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 describes his experience following Jesus. Here's what he said. Paul says he's been in prison. He's been flogged. He's been exposed to death. He's been beaten with rods. He's been pelted with stones. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in danger from rivers, bandits, Jews, Gentiles, and false believers. He's been in danger in the city, in the country, and at sea. He's worked. He's labored. He's toiled, and he hasn't slept. He's hungry, thirsty, cold, naked, and worried. That is Paul's experience following Jesus. And he turns around and he writes to Timothy. And he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul lived it. And he spoke it. He said, everyone. And it's not just Paul. It's all over scripture. It extends even beyond that into human history. Even today, there are Christians who are still suffering from persecution. There's a stat up here. Pew Research showed that Christians are still being persecuted in 145 different countries. The same study showed one in seven Christians suffer from severe persecution. Another organization called Open Doors, they said 4,000 people died because of their faith in 2018 alone. That same study showed 11 Christians die every single day in some of the worst countries now. Persecution, it is still happening today. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. While you and I, we might not fear for our lives here in America, we still experience suffering. 
A couple of weeks ago, I talked to a fellow pastor. He's got three kids. One of them is a third grader. He's a third grade boy at one of the elementary schools here in town. And he told me this story of how his son is being bullied because, he has, he, because he's a Christian. That on the playground, his friends are coming up to him and mocking him because he has faith in Jesus. He's a third grader. And he is being persecuted and suffering for his faith. That, that story, it broke my heart. So is Christianity an easy life? <laughs> no. No, Christianity isn't. It requires everything you have. And it will involve struggle. By definition, it is nearly the opposite of easy. But still, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. (laughs) It's almost laughable what's happening here, right? Jesus has just given us the sales pitch of complete and utter surrender and unimaginable suffering. He has told us that you will deny yourselves and you will suffer beyond what you can believe and yet he still has the audacity and the confidence to say to these people, follow me. Is anybody else baffled by that? Right, you're sitting in here tonight thinking, why? Why would I sign up for that? Why would I be a part of this? Why would I follow this Jesus guy after everything we've heard? Why still follow Jesus? And it's because while Christianity is not an easy life, it is the best life. While Christianity is not an easy life, it is the best life. John 16, 33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Will this life bring hardship? Yes. Will following Jesus be easy? No. But Jesus is still worth it. He's still worth it. Jesus and everything he has to offer you is worth it. He's got everything you'd ever need for this life and the next. His promise and his kingdom are eternal. So Jesus is still worth it. And in that verse, I want to pick out two promises for you. The first one is a promise of peace. Jesus says here, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. These things Jesus is referring to is the same persecution and suffering we've talked about tonight. He's explaining it to his disciples and as he does, he's reminding them that in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the darkest valley, in his presence, there is peace. The reality is suffering is not exclusive to Christianity. I hope tonight you recognize that suffering is not, it's not absent from Christianity. It's a part of it, but it's not exclusive to it. Everybody in this world suffers. The world we live in is a broken place where bad things happen. You don't have to live here very long or know very many people to experience the brokenness. But in the midst of the brokenness, there is peace there in Jesus. In the midst of the pain, Jesus has peace. Has anybody walked through something hard lately? Something where you have just like been grinding to get through it. 
something that it's just, you can't believe you have to walk through it, but it is your life right now. Have you walked through something hard lately? Unfortunately, I think too many of us experience that reality as well. And as I've experienced it in my life, and, and see if you feel the same, one of the things that always like blows my mind is that oftentimes the thing I'm walking through is not the hardest part. The situation I find myself in, I, I often have enough faith to trust that God will deliver me through it, that he is provider. He will get me through it. I, I, I often know that God is going to do what he needs to do. I can trust him in that. But the hardest part for me, and maybe it's the same for you, is even when I believe that, my mind, it just goes. I'm thinking about this situation constantly. I'm dwelling about it always. I'm anxious over it. I'm, I'm being distraught by it. I'm frustrated by it. I'm disappointed by it. It is locked in my mind. And you know what we need when we're struggling in that way? We need peace. In Jesus, he promises you peace here. When all the world is suffering, when everybody's walking through that dark valley, Jesus is there with you, giving you peace. The second promise that John 16, 33 says for us, is Jesus has promised you hope. He says here, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's hope in Jesus. And after, if you're a note taker, after you write that down, I just want you to set your notebook to the side, set it under your chair, put it away for a second. Because hope is this thing we can hear about it, but I also pray hope is this thing we can cling to. Hope is this thing we can experience tonight. Hope is this thing that we can put our faith in in Jesus. Because the dark stuff, the suffering, the hardship, the struggle, the dark valley, the depression, the anxiety, all of those things, they don't last forever. They don't last forever. Jesus has told you in his word, he has hope for you. That hope is because he has overcome the Greek word there is nikaha, and it talks about to overcome, to conquer, to be victorious. And that is what Jesus has done. He has paid the price. He has done what he needs to do. He has held up his end of the bargain. And now we, by coming to him in faith, we can experience hope that the struggle you're walking through, it will not last. That there is a time coming where Jesus will renew all things that he is sovereign over all situations. Everything will bow down at his feet. There is hope in Jesus. You can cling to that tonight. You can walk in that truth tonight, that he has overcome. He has defeated the grave. He has beat the enemy. Evil has no place in his kingdom. He is victorious. He has overcome. There is hope in Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to stand tonight because when we hear a message about hope, right now, stand up. When we hear a message about hope, it's not just about learning it. No, hope is something we are going to experience tonight because Jesus is the one name. He is the beautiful name. He is the risen name, the powerful name, the victorious name that we will sing about tonight. That he has what you need for this life and the future. There is nothing that can stop him. He has overcome the grave. He has defeated the enemy. He has your hope. So as we go into this bridge, as we sing this song, declare it with everything that you have. Because Jesus, his name, he's worthy.
Your name. 